The scripture reading for today is from John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Morning again, everyone. Let's take this time to walk around and greet three people you've never met. Three people that you've never met. I have the honor and privilege of introducing our guest speaker today, uh, Reverend Mino Song has been with Yongnak Church since 1988. Uh, he began serving as the EM pastor, then was commissioned as a missionary to the Philippines uh, as a sem uh, seminary professor and pastor, and is now serving as the senior pastor at Yongnak. Uh, he is also an adjunct professor of ministry and mission at Tyndale Seminary. Uh, he's written many articles on mission and discipleship. Uh, his passion is to help churches become healthier and missional, where members are excited to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, he is blissfully married to Meja for almost 40 years and enjoys watching their three grandchildren grow, and he still plays soccer once a week. So let's give a warm welcome to Reverend Song. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Uh, it's, it's very, very difficult for me to go to another church and preach on Sunday morning while uh, I still have um, my responsibility at Yongnak. But this Sunday is the, I think this is the first time I'm actually preaching at another church while I'm in Toronto uh, when I'm not on, not on vacation. Uh, and the reason is because of Pastor Jason. He twisted my arm so hard I had no choice. And he also happens to be, um, his, his wife Helen is, is uh, sister of my son-in-law. So I have a close connection and uh, have, have no choice but to come and, and preach today. But no, that's, uh, uh, but I'm really honored to be here and I'm, I'm so glad that I can share God's word with you this morning. Um, I, I want to work through this passage in the Gospel of John, John, John 15, the very famous parable by Jesus, really. Uh, I am the vine, you are the branch. Uh, you know, we all, we've all grown up listening to this passage, and we all know what that means. But I, today I want to just really get your attention on this one important idea. Jesus, in this parable, talks about the importance of abiding in him, and as we abide in him, we bear much, much fruit for him, for the glory of the Father. So, let's really work on this, um, uh, let's really understand the relationship between the two. That without abiding in Christ, we will not bear much fruit. In fact, Jesus says, apart from me, you cannot do anything. So, I, I, I want to share 
what it means, I want to share with you what it means to abide in Christ and also what it means to bear much fruit for Him. So that's what we want to look at today. Now, verse 5, uh, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, in this passage, there is a sense of expectation that Jesus wants his disciples to go and bear much fruit. That means for you and I, we also follow Jesus. We also believe we are disciples of Jesus. That means Jesus also has the same expectation on us. That we, as long as we have life here on earth, that our calling is not just simply to live, live out our days, whatever that is numbered, but that while we are here, that we bear fruit for him. And, and, and not just any kind of fruit, but fruit that will be glorifying God and fruit that is much, much, not just a little bit, but quite a bit. So, Jesus says, I want you to go and bear fruit. And in order to do that, remember, you need to abide in me. Because apart from me, you cannot do anything. I want to illustrate this important point about the importance of abiding in him, even before we think about bearing fruit for Jesus. Uh, from history, I, I think in, in the last 10 years or so, I've become a real uh, avid student of history, and especially the 19th century history. In, in, uh, and the reason is because the 19th century is known in, um, in, in Christian mission as the, the pinnacle, as the, 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 the most important and significant period of, of, of uh, Christian mission. And God really raised up uh, leaders such as D.L. Moody in Chicago, who would later really propel world mission with his revivals. But also a name uh, you may, you may uh, be familiar with, uh, Hudson Taylor in, 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 in England. And God has really used this man. And I want to just talk about him a little bit and the importance of abiding in Christ. Hudson Taylor, even before he was born, his parents prayed and prayed that if you would give us a son, then we would dedicate him to mission to China. So even before Hudson Taylor was born, he really had no choice but to become a missionary to China. And when he was born, his mother was praying and praying. Hudson Taylor was going the other way. His mother was becoming very worried. But one day the Lord gave her the assurance that, yes, your son is going to become the missionary missionary to China. And so at the tender age of 22, we're looking at uh, year 1854, Hudson Taylor landed in Shanghai and uh, started his work as a missionary. Now we need to understand in those days that the, the Qing dynasty was, was getting weakened by, by the day really, by each day it was getting weaker and weaker. Uh, and a lot of Western powers were trying to take control over the Qing dynasty. Uh, there were uh, all sorts of problems, really. And uh, as you know, the Opium War, uh, two times, uh, forced China to open their ports for, 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 for trading. 
And so when missionaries came to China, they were allowed to work in these ports that were forced to open. And um, while China was very suspicious of any kind of foreign colonial powers, so Hudson Taylor worked and, uh, 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 and, and found out very quickly, being a very smart person, find, found out that the majority of the Chinese that he wanted to reach out to were living beyond these protected ports. And so it was no use trying to share the gospel with only those who are inside these ports. In fact, there was this one phrase in those days, one more Christian, one less Chinese. A very derogatory term for for Christians when you think about it, because a lot of Chinese were thinking, if you become a Christian, if you actually aid foreigners and you become a Christian, then you're that much, you've denied being Chinese. So there was a lot of hostility about Westerners approaching China, including missionaries approaching China. And quickly, Hudson Taylor found this out. Now, so he wanted to make a goal to go interior, but they were saying, once you step outside the boundary of the protected ports, we cannot guarantee your safety because the Chinese will, might attack you, might take away your belongings. You may get sick from all sorts of diseases, and you will be really lonely because you may be the only person foreigner inside those areas. But Tosin Taylor, realizing that there were literally hundreds of millions of Chinese people dying without a single witness for Christ, he wanted to do something about it. He was there for six years, and after six years, his health failed him miserably. His doctor said, you need to go back to England and take care of your body. And we, I do not know when you can actually come back and, and resume your work. So, so he was around 28 or so. He returns to England. You can imagine this young man. His parents had prayed for him the whole time. And he goes to China and he comes back totally disillusioned about mission to China. But you know, <clears throat> and this is the point I'm trying to get at. Apart from me, you cannot do anything. The next six years that Hudson Taylor would spend in England turns out to be the time that the Lord had prepared for him to be in intimate relationship with him. Those six years were going to be the the most important spiritual equipping for his entire work ahead. You know, a lot of times when we feel like uh, we're going through some, 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 some darkness, some, some long, long, dark tunnel, we don't, you know, we, we don't know, like, why is God not giving me this job right away? Why, 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 why is this not happening to me? Why, why do I have to wait for so long? Uh, I'm praying, and what's going on here? Sometimes it could very well be that the Lord has a different plan. So for the next six years, Hudson Taylor thought that he was going to, he needed to work on his health to get his health back so he can go back to China. But the Lord forced him to do something else. And he would, so those six years, he focused on three other things. Number one, realizing that he had so much time on hand, he decided to work on his Bible translation of, uh, so he was working in an area called Ningbo, And so he wanted to work on the Ningbo dialect 
and make sure that the scripture was translated correctly according to that dialect. And while he was working on that, sometimes as, as much as 13 hours a day, he would enter on the margins of the scripture, on, on the Bible, some of his own commentaries. And little did he realize that uh, six years of working very, very closely with the scripture would now make him so well-versed in the scripture that he was able, he was such a confident and competent person to teach the Bible. And people said that every time Hudson Taylor opened the Bible and began expounding, wow, what a refreshing way of, of, of uh, uh, delivering the passage. People would be so uh, blessed by his teaching ministry. Mind you, Hudson Taylor never went to a theological seminary. Uh, much like D.L. Moody too. So that was the first thing. So he, he was working on the Ningbo dialect of the Chinese Bible. And while he was doing that, he was entering notes on the side. Number two. Whereas his prayer back then was limited to the area of Ningbo, now that he's in England, he decided to put up a huge map of China on the wall, and he began praying and praying for every corner of China every day, asking God, God, Lord, we, we've been only working on this coastal area. Well, we need to move in. We need to push ourselves into the interior, and there are like hundreds of millions of souls that have never heard the gospel. He kept praying and praying. Until such time, the Lord gave him the strong conviction to write a book. So he wrote a small booklet entitled China's Spiritual Need and Claims. This is in 1865. And this small booklet would become like a wildfire. People picked it up, people read it, realizing, wow, so many millions of people in China have never heard the gospel. And as long as we are only limited to the ministry in ports, we will never get this job done. So somebody needs to go to the interior. So the second thing was, little did he know that God was preparing him to become a mission mobilizer. So he was the best mobilizer to uh, mobilize people for China. And finally, the third thing that the Lord really worked on him was, okay, what do we do about people living in interior? Who is going to go? Who is going to actually go and who is going to support those who are going? Now, these are all monumental tasks. It's hard to find people who will risk their lives. You know, not only China, but in those days, if you went to Africa as a missionary, within a year or two, you would actually die from various diseases, unknown diseases, unknown to white men. So people understandably were very afraid to go in, to go into interior. One time, uh, Hudson Taylor was, um, was, was vacationing in a coastal city called Brighton, about two hours south of London, on the, on the southern coast of England. Sunday morning, he went into a church, just packed, maybe close to a thousand people. Beautiful uh, stone building with stained glasses and pipe organ. And so he worshipped the Lord with all other believers. And then he, he came out. He was walking along the beach. But something was bothering him so bad. I mean, he was talking to himself. Okay, this morning I went to the church. I went to church 
and uh, I worshiped with other people, and they, this was wonderful worship, wonderful preaching, wonderful singing, everything was great, but even as I worshiped the Lord, there are millions and hundreds of millions of Chinese who are dying because they have not a single witness amongst them. What are we going to do about this? He could no longer walk, so he knelt on the beach and he prayed to the Lord, Lord, I am willing, if you will allow me, I'm willing to go back to China, to the interior, if you will let me have 24 partners who then will be divided up as pairs and go into 12 provinces of China. Lord, give me 24 men. He prayed that prayer and he wrote down on his Bible, on this day in 1865, I, I prayed to have 24 workers go with me to China. Next day, he opens bank account in the name of China Inland Mission. And uh, he, gave, he gave his own, his own offering as a first uh, uh, seed money for this, for this mission. And it was to be very clear that this was going to be no ordinary China mission. It was going to be China Inland Mission. Well, as soon as he did that, the next question was, Lord, how are I going to supply all my needs? And one of his uh, supporters sent money to him. His name was George Miller, who, who worked in Bristol, England at the time, feeding hundreds of orphans by prayer alone. He prayed, and the, somehow the Lord delivered bread, the Lord delivered whatever the foods that uh, orphans needed to eat. The Lord did that hundreds of times, thousands of times. And George Miller wrote to Hudson Taylor, this is my offering to your mission. My friend, do not be discouraged. God will take care of you. Go ahead, go for it. So that's the beginning of China Inland Mission. And by the time he left, set sail for China, he was able to bring with him all these 24 people. To, to, to go with him. You know, Hudson Taylor left a remarkable legacy. And this is what he said. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Would you repeat after me? God's work. A little bit louder. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. This was going to be the beginning of what is called in mission history, faith mission. Faith mission is a way of doing mission where no solicitation is allowed. For example, you know, you become a, you sign up as a, as a missionary. You can go to small groups, you can go to whole congregation at large and say, like, this is what I want to do. This is the country I'm going. Please support me. You can do that, but not if you are with faith mission because there is that no solicitation policy. Then how do you raise your funds? You raise your funds by prayer. You, you pray and you expect God to fill all your needs. How is it possible if you ever you never let your friends know what you're doing? How will they ever know to, to even support you? 
God will make that known to them. You just pray. And this is basically what Hudson Taylor did. And would you believe God supplied all the necessary uh, resources to get the job done? So at one point, Hudson Taylor had as many as 1,000 partners in China, in every corner of China, in inland China. Looking back, Hudson Taylor had two legacies for us. You can call it fruit that he bore for Christ. One was what I just explained to you, faith mission. The other is mission to interior. And so people were so touched by what Hudson Taylor was doing, and there were a lot of other missions were springing up with the name interior in the middle. So there was Sudan Interior Mission, for example, uh, named after China Inland Mission. So either inland or interior. There are a lot of mission agencies that were springing up all over uh, colonized continents, and they were eager to go inside, risking their lives. And this we owe to Hudson Taylor. Uh, if you don't mind, while I'm at it, I, I just want to give you one more uh, lesson from history, from mission history. While Hudson Taylor was visiting England during one of his sabbaticals, he was asked to preach at uh, one, of the, one of England's famous uh, missions conferences, or sometimes they call it spiritual conferences, called the Keswick Convention. So he was, at, uh, at, well, he was one of the preachers at the, at the Keswick Convention. And sitting in, 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 in the audience was a young girl. Uh, perhaps in her early 20s. And listening intently to Hudson Taylor and realizing that God was also calling her to world missions. And so her name uh, is Amy Carmichael. And Amy Carmichael said, I want to join you and I want to go to China and, 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 and serve the Lord there. But she was rejected because her health was not strong. So she decided, well, if China Inland Mission was not going to accept me, I'm just going to go anyway. And she went to Japan. But few years, it would only take a few years to recognize that she really was not healthy and fit. She, she, comes, she comes back to her home in Northern Ireland. She keeps praying, Lord, open up uh, doors for me to, to serve you. And she ends up in India, in the southern part of India. And when she went to India... By the way, are we seeing all this uh, that I sent you, the pictures? So when she went to India, um, she saw these girls, young girls, being sold off at Hindu temples. And she couldn't believe her eyes. What, why, why are these young children being sold off? And quickly found out that these girls were forced to marry Hindu gods. And for the rest of their lives, they will be living at the Hindu temples, serving the people that come and worship. But actually, in reality, they, what they were actually subjected to was temple prostitution. So Amy Carmichael wanted to rescue them one by one. And it ended up actually starting her own orphanage called uh, Donavor Dona, Dona Fellowship. And there she built uh, orphanage, built school, built hospital, and so forth. 
Would you believe she would stay in South India, never returned home for furlough, never, for the next 56 years, and she died there. There were a lot of times when she was ridiculed, she was criticized, people were suspicious. You snatch girls from Hindu temple, and we don't know what you do to them. Uh, look, you know, their lives are miserable. Some of them died, and, and, and they were spreading false uh, rumors about her. But each time when she was under attack, she somehow learned to abide in Christ. And her thing was writing poetry. She wrote poems after poems, and she would publish them. And this poem that I introduced to you is, uh, is one of her poems. It struck chord uh, in the heart of a young man who went to Wheaton College at the time in Chicago. We're talking in the 1950s, early 50s. His name uh, was Jimmy Elliot. Jimmy Elliot loved to read Amy Carmichael's poems. In fact, this one I think he memorized and he would recite often. Let me, let, me, let, let me read that for you. Has thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Has thou no scar? Has thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that, that compassed me, I swooned. Has thou no wound? No wound, no scar, yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed afar? Far, who has no wound or scar. Jim Elliot spent his college days meditating upon Amy Carmichael's poems. And sure enough, he signs up to become a missionary and he goes to one of the fiercest people groups at the time in Ecuador and jungle, known as the Aucas, which is a um, derogatory term, uh, meaning the savages. These are a group of uh, native Indians who hated white people uh, because they were known as invaders. And so every time they saw white people, they were out to kill them. And Jim Elliot wanted to share the love of Christ with them. And he and his friends um, approached them, tried to share the gospel, but in the end, they were all speared to death. So you can see there is a legacy that Amy Carmichael left for Jim Elliot, which was no pain, no gain, no suffering, no glory. You know, when I went to the mission field, having read Jim Elliot's books, uh, also written by his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, first started, uh, when I first heard about this story, I read the first book was called um, um, the Gates, Gates of Splendor, which was a blow-by-blow -blow account of how he and his friends died. And the next book I read is The Savage My Kinsman, where his w widow, 
Elizabeth Elliot actually goes into the village and lives with, it, with her two-year-old two-year-old daughter Valerie and um, <clears throat> shares the gospel with the very person who killed her husband and in the end eventually um, evangelizing the whole whole tribe what a powerful and moving story that that was and um, you can see bearing fruit and abiding in Christ they go hand in hand and we have here Hudson Taylor making a huge impact on Amy Carmichael and Amy Carmichael making a huge impact on Jim Elliot. And when I went to the mission field, I learned that just about everybody that was there had heard and read about Jim Elliot. And many of them were so influenced and, and motivated to go to missions because of the sacrifice that Jim Elliot was willing to take. Me, myself included. So, this is the kind of uh, mission history that we, we have inherited. And folks, um, let's really focus on some of these people who have really done well and really bore fruit for Jesus. There are people like that. that we need to aim high and we need to uh, learn to, to, to follow. Let me go back to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Hudson Taylor learned to abide in Christ, especially those during six years of darkness. He thought he was coming back to England for no apparent reason other than just getting his health restored. But little did he know that God had prepared him to become much, much bigger person bigger person of influence by making him a, a, a very, very special Bible teacher, a, a, a great mission mobilizer, and finally, the mission founder. Wow, that's not bad. If uh, God were to subject us for six years of being just by ourselves for six years and, and accomplish that much, that's far more important and powerful than just going out six years and try to do things on our own. What about Amy Carmichael? Whenever she was being attacked and scrutinized and criticized, she thought about Christ who called, who called her there and she wrote poems about, her, about him. That was her, her way of abiding in Christ. Let me ask you this question. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you walking very closely with Christ? Are you having, a, having an intimate relationship with Christ? You know, it's so easy to, to, to act like I'm a religious person. It doesn't take much to pretend that I follow Christ. But when God looks at our hearts... Can, God truly, can we truly say that, yes, we have a very, very intimate relationship with Christ? One of the reasons we have difficulty being intimate with Christ is because we are so busy. And I hear this a lot when I, you know, when I ask people to serve the church in various functions. The first thing I hear is, oh, pastor, you have no idea how busy I am. 
my plate is full. I'm just so busy. I'm so inundated with so many things that, you know, it's just a miracle I, I, I'm alive. Does that resonate with any, any one of you? What does the person that is no longer intimate with Christ look like? The person may be busy and very busy for the wrong things of life. He or she may be even busy trying to do a lot of things throughout the day, always engaging in urgent things and always neglecting important things. And there is a difference, a fine line between what is urgent and what is important. If you neglect something that is important now, it's not going to kill you. Whereas if you neglect whatever, whatever is urgent, then it might kill you right away. So you've learned to, to really respond to urgent things right away. And in the process, the, the important things are being set aside. Okay, I'll get that done tomorrow, maybe next week, next month, so on. What is that important thing? That is spending enough time being intimate with Christ. That's important thing. Now, if you skip that process today, no one's going to come and say, like, my life is ruined because you failed to do that. No one's going to do that. So you can live on without having any relationship with Christ for, um, uh, for a day or for, even for, for a week. Even you, can, you may even go for a month. But please, don't plan on serving God and serving Christ if you are not receiving that life-giving nutrition from Christ. So what happens when you continue to neglect your important things and you, you always attend the urgent things? Well, you begin to lose focus on spiritual things. Your prayers are shallow. Your Bible reading really becomes meaningless because what's the use of it when you get nothing out of it? And then slowly, the things of the world, they take a lot of importance. And you begin taking some serious interest and attention on things of the world. And you begin to go after things that pleases you and pleases your eyes. So I would say that the greatest enemy for God's people today is being busy and attending to urgent things. We need to learn to break out of that and somehow learn to abide in Christ. So our Lord Jesus has, has given us a great example of how to do that. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we come across this passage where Jesus was so busy, so busy. From early in the morning until late at night, people were bringing all sorts of cases to him people who need to be healed, people who need to be fed, etc., etc. And what did Jesus do? Jesus got up early, went to a remote place so that he can pray. Now, that's, that should tell us all. It's a very simple lesson. We need to, each day, somehow find a space and time that cannot be interrupted, and the time that we can really be intimate with Christ. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. 
So don't plan on doing a lot of things for Christ if you are not being intimate with Christ because not only are you building your castle on, on, on sand, but also in the end, we may be, rather than useful, we may be harmful to the kingdom. Now, what kind of fruit are we supposed to bear? Well, that depends. We, we see what Hudson Taylor did. We see what Amy Carmichael did. We see what Jim Elliot did. Everybody has different gifts and different life settings and different uh, situations. You may be a mother, and God has called you to, to raise your children in a in godly way as, as possible. And that is your call, and you've got to do a very good job of it. God may have given you the gift of running a business. Uh, well, why don't you run your business in the most godly way possible, reflecting Christian character and values? God may have called you to serve your small, small group. Why don't you serve with diligence and faithfulness, relying on Christ for your power, your sustenance, rather than on people's acceptance of you or how popular you are as a small group leader. Maybe God has called you to support a certain missionary. Yes, why don't you? Why don't you do it with all your heart? So, as you, as you give, why don't you give sacrificially? Not your leftover, but sacrificially because your heart is in it. Why don't you pray and pray with a sense of fervency because you really believe in what, what this person is doing. God may have called you to be just a good person doing good things around, especially around people who are skeptical about Christ. God may have called you to visit those who are lonely and shut down, those who are foreigners, who are strangers, who are visitors. Maybe God has called you to be hospitable. God may have also called you to share the gospel with those who have were spiritually lost. And without someone sharing the gospel, this person has no chance to come out, whatever that may be. Brothers and sisters, we need to be faithful to the call. God has called us to bear fruit for him. And not just single fruit, bear much, much fruit that will last for the glory of the Father. May God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we take these words to our hearts and we ask that you will, the Spirit will continue to make these words come alive in our lives. Show us, Lord. Teach us so that we may obey and bear much, much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.